And Lord, we're going through 1 Thessalonians. Uh, what many consider the first book that Paul wrote, you would know that for sure. Um, but uh, as, we, as we go through it, Lord, there's a number of real life kind of shoe leather things to it. There's a number of places where um, we kind of look and, and if we don't stop to think about it, we can just glaze right by it and not realize it's actually talking about things that we would understand and that we experience. So as we do that this morning, Lord, I pray uh, for you to, uh, again, always... You are master, you are Lord, you are welcome. May you be our honored guest. May you be among us. May your spirit speak to us. And Lord, if it had something not even to do with the message, that would be spectacular. We ask for your freedom here and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to First Thessalonians. And uh, if you're new or visiting, just to get you caught up, we've been talking about Paul was over at Troas. He wanted to go south to Ephesus or north to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let him. Then he had the vision of the man saying, hey, come over here and help us. So he went across and uh, went to Philippi. And in Philippi, things didn't go so well. And he ended up being, uh, he and Silas being whipped and in jail. And uh, at midnight, they were singing. An earthquake happened. The doors flew open. The jailer thought everybody had escaped. So he's going to kill himself. Paul said, no, we're all cool. We're here. And uh, they came in, took care of Paul. But then they were kind of ceremoniously ejected out of Philippi because the rulers of the city realized they had unlawfully whipped a Roman citizen, which is a big no-no, right? We wouldn't understand that, but it's just a big no-no. So they kind of shuttled them out. They went to Thessalonica, and uh, Paul said they had courage to speak the message again, and, uh, and then things didn't go so well there either, and Paul had to be literally shipped out of town at night for the safety of his and Silas and Timothy's life. They end up going down uh, to Athens. And uh, we're going to see that a number of the things that uh, take place today uh, take place as Paul is transitioning from Athens to Corinth. All right? And uh, in Corinth is where he writes the letter for uh, 1 Thessalonians. So we're in chapter 3 this morning. And I want to read it to you. Join with me. I'm in the ESV just in case you're uh, wondering what... Translation says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we might see your face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, and for all we do, uh, excuse me, and for all as we do for you so that you may be established, your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. 
Last week we uh, talked about just a little review. Paul had three defenses, and you can pick it up in this chapter as well. He was defending a couple of things. First, he was defending how he handled the gospel. He was talking about the sacred trust that had been given to him and the responsibility. And what he was saying is, I'm not a peddler. I'm not in this for greed or gain. I want you to watch my life. Look at how I operate. Uh, I'm doing this. I want to give you the gospel as it was given to me. And so very strong defense for the gospel. He was very uh, strong in his defense about how they handled themselves. He said, watch our life. Look at our example. Do what we're doing. Um, you know, that, that's pretty bold. Could you say that? Could you say, watch my life and imitate my life and you will know how it is uh, to walk with the Lord? Uh, that's a pretty bold statement, but he does it more than once. And then he defended how they handled the Thessalonians. He said, remember how we were with you. He used the illustration of a, a, a nursing mother and he used the illustration of a good father. Two of the best pictures you can get. And he said, remember how we handled you? Remember how we worked with you? Remember we didn't uh, take advantage of you? Remember we didn't exasperate you? We worked with you in the midst of the trials at hand. Go back to those things. Go back to what you learned. And so in chapter 3, he's rolling uh, some of this out. And, uh, And he says, the reward is, last week we closed with, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? This is the end of chapter 2. Before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And Paul says, hey, I'm going to have a crown. And when I get that crown, I'm going to throw it at the feet of the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ. And when I do, you know what that crown is going to be? It's going to be you guys. It's going to be you, Thessalonians. You are my crown. That's how valuable you are to me. In the whole uh, montage of life as we know it, The most valuable thing for me, Thessalonians, is you. So he's he's telling them how important they are. And he's telling them how valuable they are. And then we asked last week, he said, who have you invested in for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of God? We had two questions. Who? Who have you invested in? Can you think through who you've put time and energy and uh, thought into? And then the second question was, Where have you invested uh, for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of God? So the who is the more relational of us, right? And then the where is the more tactical or strategic among us. Uh, Where is it that you invest in the kingdom and it's made a difference and there's a value to it? And so as we come into that, Paul's rolling this out farther. The reason, I think, is because There's a need to be involved in a cause bigger than us, bigger than you, bigger than me. Uh, If if I'm just into the Christian life because it's about me, right? And that's a common temptation. It's about me. It's about my needs. It's about the things that are going on. It's all about me. And if God meets my needs, then good. But if he doesn't meet my needs, then I'm going to throw a fit and I'm going to pout and I'm going to throw a tantrum and uh, just act like a four-year-old and try to get him persuaded that he should see the kingdom from my perspective instead of from his perspective, you, you find that not only is that a real hard role to hold, uh, Jesus said to Paul, it's hard to kick against the goads. And if you try to do that with God, it is kind of hard. But the second thing that we find is it's really unfulfilling. There's a whole new group of people uh, in, that are now called the Duns. Have you read about this or heard about this? Okay, It's called the Duns. It's the people who used to go to church. It's the people who used to be um, 
part of a fellowship or body. And now uh, when they check the boxes, they, they check unaffiliated. They're done. Uh, they just don't do it anymore. And I want to suggest something to you. They're trying to find out the reason for that. And um, I want to suggest it's really important what you're into it for, for the sake of Jesus and the other. Um, it's easy to walk away if you have nothing invested. Right? If you have nothing invested in the kingdom, if you have nothing invested in the Lord, if it doesn't stretch you at all, if it never costs you, uh, it's pretty easy to be done. Pretty easy to walk away. I think it's not only a present sign, but it's a sign of the times that we're in. So Paul is addressing this with the Thessalonians because he's got some deep concerns, all right? Look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith. Now, when we look at these verses, again, I think part of the problem we have is we read it and we read it and we know the Apostle Paul's writing it. And because the Apostle Paul wrote it, it was just the way to do it. It was good. It was, he knew he was supposed to send uh, Silas and Timothy. He knew that it would be all right. And he was just going to sashay over to Corinth. And then he knew he was going to write First Thessalonians. And later he could autograph the books he published, right? There we go. Done. I want to suggest to you this this is not the way it was, all right? Paul is uh, kind of struggling. He's caught between what we would experience, what we know as caught between a rock and a hard place. Neither choice seems to be really good. Athens, he doesn't like. You can read it in the book of Acts. It provokes his spirit. It was a city of idolatry, and he was going bonkers nuts in that city to the point where he found an inscription to an unknown God, and out of that he fashioned a message of, let me tell you about this You've got thousands of God. Let me tell you about this unknown one. And then he preached Christ and Christ resurrected. And uh, they thought he was silly, a fool, a babbler. And, uh, and so not only did, did it provoke him in his spirit, but he, they, he got discounted. Right? You ever, that ever happened? You try to share and then you get discounted, right? Funk. You're like, ah. So Paul stuck. He, he desperately wants to know what's going on in Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica is only 100 miles away. We would say, well, what's the problem? That's not that hard, all right? But you have to remember, there are no, there's no cell phones, there's no computers, there's no Facebook, there's no, they don't have a telegraph, they don't, there's none of that stuff. There's mules and carts and horses and, and walking, Right? So 100 miles away is a big deal. And there's no uh, internet you can tap into to find out in the evening what happened during the day. Paul has no idea. He got shipped out on the threat of death. And he has no clue what's actually happened. He's desperately hoping the churches survive. And so he doesn't know what to do because he needs Timothy and Silas with him. He has to have them. But he's stuck because if he... If he uh, stays with them, he'll, he'll, he will never know what's happened to the Thessalonica church. So in, a, in a, one of those, oh, darned if you do, darned if you don't, he launches Silas and Timothy out, and he's left alone in Athens. And you can pick up from there and in Acts that he's, he's pretty perturbed in his spirit. But he had to know if they uh, had survived. Why was he worried? Well, he was worried about the reality of affliction. 
He was worried about what he knew what was going on. He knew the pressures they were facing. If you look here in verses uh, three through five, he said that no one be moved. He said, establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. Another word for afflictions would be sufferings. For you yourselves know that we're destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Uh, I, got a, uh, I, I get calls all the time. And one of the great fears is I know that people are hanging in the balance. And one of the great fears is that they're going to tip away from the Lord. And you don't know if Satan's able to lie to people and rob what you invested in and what you've been able to put in there. And, uh, and this attitude of afflictions um, is growing. Uh, I, you probably saw this. I don't know if you did on MSN. Um, there was an article about Stephen Fry. I don't really know him. He's an uh, actor, an English actor, I guess. And uh, he says, God is evil and stupid. All right? Let me, let me read the, the article to you. Stephen Fry is a well-known atheist and actor-comedian had quite a reply when asked on Irish television how he'd react if it turned out he's wrong and God met him at the pearly gates of heaven, which is what he said on this week's The Meaning of Life with Gay Byrne. In other words, he said, if I met him, I'd tell him he's evil and stupid. Byrne asked Fry what he would say if God confronted him upon his death. Fry responds, I think I'd say bone cancer in children. What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that it is not our fault. It is not right. It is utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I would say. When the host suggests that Fry may not get into heaven with that attitude, duh, Fry answers, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're wrong. He goes on to praise the mythological gods of Greece for not presenting themselves as all-seeing, all-wise, all-kind, and all-beneficent. But the God that created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac, continues Fry. An utter maniac, totally selfish. We have to spend our life on our knees thanking him. The star adds, atheism isn't just about not believing there's a God, but on the assumption that there is one. What kind of God is he? It's perfectly apparent that he's a monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, and more worth living, in my opinion. Right? Now, that's not a new opinion. That's not, that didn't just roll off the press. Um, George Bernard Shaw coined some of that a long time ago. But you can pick up the tone for it. And that, the thing about today is that tone's gaining momentum. God is a monster. God is evil. God himself is the problem. Uh, What what will I have? And Paul was in a city like our times that had that attitude and they didn't take very kindly to it. When Paul started to talk about a resurrected Savior, um, it got violent. All right? And that kind of attitude that I'm reading this morning is one that many, many people now have the opinion. The problem, it used to be the problem was the church, right? And of course, you know, we've been idiots and we've shot ourselves in the foot more times than we care to imagine and we've blown ourselves up and look like doofuses all over the place. 
And so that, that one makes kind of sense, and we're even guilty on that. But it's one thing when it shifts from the bride to the bridegroom. When you begin to attack God himself and say that God's character is what's wrong. If you remember that, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Right? Satan's whispering attack to Eve was, is he really good? How do you know? He rigged the whole thing. Yeah, you think you've got it pretty nice, but there's a lot more. And it was against the character of God. And I want to suggest something to you. Jesus hung on the cross. When he came on our turf played by our rules, he hung on the cross. He was still God. He still had miraculous powers. If it was me, I would have used him. You want to play a game? Good, I got a good one. You know what it's called? Crispy critters, baby. <laughs> Smoke trendles coming up. Why didn't God do that? Jesus didn't do that because he was up there saying, this is my character. This is my nature. I will not use my power against it. I am trustworthy. You can trust me. Right? And Paul was trying to get this across to the Thessalonian church and he didn't know if it really worked or not and he was really afraid that Satan had been able to lie to them, discourage them and get them to move away from their faith in Christ. But there's a good turn here. If you look at verses 6 through 8, but now that Timothy has come, in other words, Paul's risk of faith, his step of faith, isn't it cool to know that Paul had to take steps of faith too? It's not just us. That he actually had to take steps of faith. When he launched Timothy and says, he didn't know. He wasn't sure how it was going. He wasn't sure they would even get back to him. Isn't it cool that Paul had to take the same kind of steps of faith that we do? I, I feel good that he got in catch-22s too. I'm glad we're not the only ones. Now that Timothy has come from us, uh, come to us from you and has brought us good news. This phrase, good news here, is evangelium. It's usually used for the gospel. It's, this is the only place other than in the book of Revelation where the news that comes back is so good, the literally word for the gospel is used in terms of how good the news is. Shout it out, kicking awesome good news. Right? That's what Paul's trying to say here. We, we read that so holy. Of the good news of the faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Right? That's not what Paul's saying here. He is elated. Stop kicking happy. He says, The good news of your faith and love is reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. And for this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For we now live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And I just want to talk about the power of a good report. John says in 1 John chapter 3, nothing gives me more delight than to know my children are walking in the truth. I got a call this week that uh, came from somebody, and I won't tell you who it is, but they were in a catch-22, and, and where their life was and where the gospel was, two different places. And we laid it out together, and we talked through it, and uh, they called me up, and they said, I want you to know we've chosen to do what God wants us to do. I was so excited, right? I just like... Yes, that you, it's so encouraging when you guys come up and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm sticking with the reading program, read through the Bible, I'm on track, or I'm a couple days behind, but I'm catching up. That is so encouraging. That's what Paul's going through. He found out not only had the church survived, they were thriving, they were doing well. And he was like, this is beyond what I thought. I was actually discouraged and kind of, you know, he's saying I'm kind of down and I'm, I'm thinking, man, was it even worth doing it? Was all our effort in vain, and he finds out it's not. And he's, he's really pumped. Uh, the joy of knowing that they were following through was enormous. 
For this reason, brother, in all our distress and afflictions, we have been comforted there. Uh, in Corinthians, God is called the God of all comfort. And God brings comfort. And one of the ways God brings comfort is the idea or the news that people around you are pursuing the faith. You know, think about a community group. What really makes a community group fly? Isn't it the week-by-week stories, the pressures and trials, but then somebody makes a step of faith and they do, and everybody in the group gets encouraged, right? What are we doing? We're encouraging each other in the faith. And Paul's writing this letter to encourage them in the faith as well. Go to verses 9 through 10. And for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy we feel for your sake before God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul here is saying, hey, we want to come back. We want to come back and help. And I've been trying to get there. Uh, We haven't been able to get there, but we hope that we'll be able to get there soon. And we want to build up what's lacking. Why why does he say that? Because they're not sufficient believers. No, remember he had a very short time there. He had a very short run. Uh, the guesses are from three weeks to three months uh, that he spent in Thessalonica. But let's take the long, three months. All right? If I came bopping into Mill Creek and I knew I only had three months, that was the total impact of the gospel that I had, and I had to leave and I got shipped out of town and I knew there was, how confident would I be that they had everything they need to have? I wouldn't be at all, right? Uh, neither was Paul. And he's saying, hey, I'd like to come back. I'd like to be able to supply what's lacking in your faith. Then look at verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. We're going to talk about this love that's laid out here. This is the first time Paul exposes this theme of the most important theme in the church is that we love one another. By the way, how good are we at that? Right? Keep trying. Holy Spirit will help us, right? But one of the things that uh, I always say with couples when they come in, how are you going to fight? They go, what? How are you going to fight? Well, we're not. We love each other. I go, good. How are you going to fight? Right? And what we think going into marriage, right, is we think we are great lovers. Oh, sweetie, you are lucky you got me. And we call that the honeymoon period. And then after, what do we run into? Our selfishness and primarily what we forget. When we go into marriage, we think it's about what I'm going to get. We don't realize it's about what I have to give. And most of us are bad givers. We're selfish in it. And so what happens is we get into marriage and then we start realizing we're not very good at love. And Paul knows the church. We'll get to that place as well. And he wants to encourage them in this grace called love. Sometimes for your mate, you've got to pray, God, give me your love for my mate because I don't love them right now and I don't even like them. Give me your love for them. That's a great prayer. It's a great prayer. But Paul is saying, may the Lord increase and abound in love for one another for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are now coming into an era where the middle ground is quickly being eaten up, right? If you read about uh, the middle class in America, they talk about the disappearance of the middle class. Well, there's another disappearance that's happening. That's the middle ground of being able to talk about uh, faith 
and uh, prayer and that kind of stuff. Uh, today, after the game, you'll probably see a bunch of players in the middle from both teams praying together. And a lot of people really upset with that. Why would they do that? Is that really even necessary? I mean, come on. They get really offended by it. And so in our culture, the middle ground is being uh, removed so that you can't even have a discussion. And it's either you'll be established on this end of the world or you'll be established on this end of the kingdom. And Paul is desperate that they would be established in Christ. Um, I'm going to tell you where we're going to go next week. Next week is verses 1 through 8, and we're going to talk about sexual purity. All right? So if you don't like that, it would be a good Sunday to skip. All right? But that's where we're going because... That is part of being established. That is what it's talking about. So I'm going to ask the guys to come forward this morning for communion. If they would begin to serve us. And I want to talk about Stephen Fry just for a second. I don't know Stephen Fry. I don't know anything about Stephen Fry. I would say, uh, as Shakespeare would, Methink the lady doth protest too much. There's something in his story. There's something in his vehemence. There's something in his venom that tells me he knows more than we think he knows. Uh, When I hear a person react like somewhere in his past, there is a legacy of faith or a trail of faith, um, and he's reacting to something because you don't react. If if he's an atheist, and here's my thinking, if he's an atheist and there is no God, why would he even react? Why would he call God stupid? Stupid. Why would he call God a monster? My response is, Stephen, you're an atheist. You don't believe there's anything there. Why don't you just say, hey, I don't think it's worth debate. I don't think it's worth the argument. But just his going at it that way tells you there's more to it. There's some wound, some hurt, some hate. Uh, If you saw the movie uh, God's Not Dead, right? And the professor, he smacks of me, that kind of guy. Uh, That there's a wound that took place in his life. But that particular opinion, he's established in that opinion. Paul wants us to be established in the gospel, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would not be tempted or pulled away from our affection by Jesus by anybody. He wants the church to thrive in love because if the church does that, other people will know Jesus is alive. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. It didn't say by your theology. It didn't say by um, your, your discipline or that kind of stuff. It said by your love. And so when we come to communion, the question this morning is, what are we established in? All right? Paul is hoping that Satan cannot rob them. He's hoping that Satan didn't win. And when he finds out that Satan hasn't, he is ecstatic. Okay? That's where we should jump up and cheer in church like the 12th man. Right? Somehow we think heaven's going to be the frozen chosen. i got news for you. When the African brothers and sisters get up there, we're going to be rocking. Okay? Contrary to our white opinion. i got news for you. We are going to be rolling it. And that, why? Because of the victory of Christ in the lives of people. And so when we come to communion, as we are looking at this morning... Are you established in his love? That was Paul's whole concern for the Thessalonian church. Are you established in his love? And that doesn't just mean, hey, did you pray the prayer? Okay, that's good. Prayer is good and you should do that. 
That doesn't just mean do you go to church. That doesn't even just mean do you have a commitment. Are you established? Is that your base? Is that your foundation? Are you locked in? You're only as good as your foundation, right? Is, are you established on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the, what was the foundation that they proclaimed? The foundation they proclaimed was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that covers our sins. And Jesus brought that all together in this symbol called, and it's called what? The love feast. It's a picture of his love being poured out for us, saying don't be moved off the foundation. He said, I paid a great price for you. You matter to me. He said, I took the, I took the weight in my body. It's symbolized in this uh, little piece of bread. Remember what happened to my body. Remember the price. Remember what it took to cover your sins. Be established in that. He said, eat this in memory of me. Then he took the cup. He said, if you think I don't care, look at this. This is a symbol of my shedding blood for you. He said, I don't think you shed too much for me, but I was willing to shed it for you. So that's how deep my love runs. It's all in. Right? We use that phrase for sports, but in faith it's all in. Jesus was all in for us. He said, drink this in memory of me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and close us in worship and wrap this up. Would you join me in prayer as they come up? Are you established in His love this morning? Just stop. How, how rocky's your road been? How, how many challenges? How many times have you said and said, boy, I don't know if I can go any further? Or I hadn't expected this. Or I didn't think there'd be that kind of price tag to it. All of that is covered. Paul said, I guarantee you, I told you there would be afflictions. Father, when we come, we like the uh, win side of the gospel. We don't like the suffering side, and I don't think that's any secret to you. Thank you being the God of comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions and all our sorrows. Lord, this passage was talking a lot about the encouragement Paul received, how pumped up he was, how excited that it, it didn't just go to waste, that it actually the gospel actually took root and it actually bore fruit and he had something to show for the incredible beatings and fear that he had to operate through. He could see through the other side of it. Lord, may that be true for us as well. May that same faith that motivated and propelled him uh, into uh, the mission journeys that we know as the greatest mission trips in the world, may that be the same kind of faith and undergirding that establishes us as we, in our catch-22s and rock and hard places, have to take steps of faith every day, every week as well. May we experience your comfort. May we be in, encouraged by other believers who are moving forward. And Lord, may we ask for this grace in your name. Amen.